Hello and welcome to another MyTunes podcast right here at manxradio.com. Mark Tiley, the nation's station, Manx Radio. My MyTunes guest this week has been around the world and has ended up as a Lieutenant Governor here on the Isle of Man. He is Sir John Lorimer. His Excellency Sir John, thank you for joining us on MyTunes. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you with us because we've already had a chat about music and I know we've got a lot in common, <laughs> which is a great starting point. Where did you grow up as a youngster? Grew up in, well, I was born in, in Aldershot, the home of the British Army. My father was a soldier. He was in the Argyll and Southern Highlanders and then the Parachute Regiment and was based in Aldershot. And mum and, and he had come down from, from Scotland. And that's where I grew up in that sort of area, um, in school in Wiltshire. And, uh, but my mother still lives just south of the, the Hogsback. So the army was running through the genes, I, I guess. Absolutely, and, and not just, uh, particularly on my father's side. And his father had been a sort of administrator in Sudan, and my great-grandfather had also been in that. So it was very much service was very much as a feature of Lorimer family. You went into the army almost uh, as a break from sort of doing other things, and then it all really developed from there. Could you just talk us through that? I did my A-levels and decided not to go to university at that stage. And while everyone else was going to university, I needed a sort of a three-year gap. To, I had a three-year gap to fill. And I thought going to the army and, and joining as a, as, as a private would be a good thing. And then... I'd leave after three years and find a proper job. And I never got to that stage when I left until last year. And when you were in the army, did they, did they suggest you went into university? Yes, it was one. Uh, eventually I, I went to, to Sandhurst. And at Sandhurst, they, they suggested that I had reasonably good A-levels. And why haven't I gone to university? Because in those days, less than 50% of army officers had degrees. And uh, they sponsored me to go to university to read a subject of, that was going to be useful to the army. And eventually I went aged nearly 23. So for, and for me, it was a perfect time to go to university. I'd grown up. I'd seen a little bit of the outside world, uh, the real world. And I, I suppose I wasn't a standard undergraduate. And when you were in the army for just around 40 years, just short of 40 years, you saw an awful lot of the world and you covered some pretty, let's say... Um, interesting locations yes i was very lucky i had a lot of travel and i enjoyed it i mean i loved the army it was uh 40 years and no stage did i ever think that i was going to do anything other than that until the sort of final day when i knew it was all over but the travel was was great particularly when young i spent a lot of time in the middle east because my degree was in arabic and islamic studies and uh, you know there was a there were a lot of operations happening in that that area and I enjoyed getting out and meeting people and obviously commanding soldiers and operations. is was It was, for me, what it was all about. Is it difficult when you've had a very successful career like yours, and we'll talk about the advisory roles later on, to leave the guys behind and go into sort of higher echelons? Is there a bit of you that says, I miss them? Yes, and when you get beyond what we call regimental duty, so... One is beyond the rank of lieutenant colonel. 
you are no longer part of your regiment. So I was technically no longer part of the parachute regiment. And I loved the paras. My dad had been in the paras. And funny enough, my eldest son is in the paras. You know, it's, it's a family. So you do suddenly lose that. I was very lucky is that I got a number of jobs which involved very much being at the tactical level, so still with soldiers, whether it was as brigade commander or uh, higher up. And I also, within the regiment, I became colonel commandant, and I was colonel commandant for seven years, which meant I spent a lot of time going back to the to the battalions, to the units, and still meeting young soldiers and uh, you know helping them achieve their potential, which was was it all about. And that was great. So I never, I don't think I ever really lost touch with the tactical level soldiering, and I loved it, and that was probably the best part of it. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about getting you to the Isle of Man and about being the Lieutenant Governor of the Isle of Man. But I want to take us back because, guess what, boys and girls, this gentleman and I were at the same concert in a muddy field in Nebworth in 1978 watching his first artist choice. I couldn't believe it. It's fantastic. Yeah, so the um, first artist is, is Peter Gabriel. And, I mean, he was obviously part of Genesis, and I'm a huge Genesis fan. And I went and saw them during their, their, their third last concert ever this year. And I adored them at school, and I've carried on enjoying listening to them. And I've chosen Peter Gabriel to cover both him and, and Genesis. And the song is Salisbury Hill, which reminds me of growing up and breaking out and doing something different. And, and that kind of reflects what I did after school. Everyone else was going to university. And I went, no, I'm going to take a, take a different path. And whenever I'm a bit low, Salisbury Hill goes on and the family will hear me screaming around the house at top volume. Connection I should cut 
This week on my tunes, I'm very happy to say I have the Lieutenant Governor of the Isle of Man with me, who is Sir John Lorimer. Sir John, thank you again for being here on my tunes and for reminiscing about Nebworth, which was a great <laughs> surprise yesterday, which I love that. Now then, the job. Let's talk about not how you got it so much, but what do you have to do as the governor? It's really divided into three parts. There's a constitutional part of the of the role, which is working with Tinwald, and that's leading up to giving royal assent to laws, which is delegated to me. So there's a constitutional aspect. There's the ceremonial aspect, which Tinwald Day and Remembrance Day and the National Service and things like that, where I tend to put on my uniform and all of that. But about 80%, I would say, is the community role, getting out and about with Philippa and meeting as many people as we can and trying to help by getting to know the island, getting to know the people of the Isle of Man. It's about then trying to help, as I call it, join the dots. It's where can I add value? Where can we, as a couple, add value to help other people achieve whatever they're trying to do? And coming in as you did in 21, not quite through a pandemic of a proportion that the likes of which we hadn't, well, I certainly hadn't seen before. That must have made it really hard because you, you were restricted with movement uh, initially and there were all sorts of uh, things to deal with. It was OK, really, for us. And I've never felt that COVID has an, uh, had an impact on how I wanted to do the job. Clearly, it's had an impact in terms of, you know, mask wearing and sometimes that became a bit difficult And right at the beginning. I was doing lateral flow tests right up until, you know, August this year, so a couple of months ago, because I just wanted to reassure people when I went and visited them, particularly if I went to a care home or something like that, I wanted to reassure everyone that despite the fact I was seeing a lot, that I was okay. And there was also a little bit of reassurance for me. But I didn't think COVID really made a huge difference because I think we were much more advanced here in, uh, on the island than, than across. And um, we were just getting on with it. Your use of the Manx language at Timwald was praised universally. How hard was it to get that under your belt? The reason I did it is because it just felt it was the right thing to do. It didn't seem right to me that the only bits of um, the ceremony that weren't in both English and Manx were the bits that the Lieutenant Governor said. And it kind of, to me, reinforced anyone's sort of misconception in my view that the sort of the lieutenant governor is imposed on doesn't understand the people of the Isle of Man he's not part of the community and I thought that was wrong and I don't think that was accurate it wasn't a statement it just felt right and we're, we're trying to increase the number of Manx speakers anyway on the island and and therefore if I could help that by speaking some Manx and encouraging others to do so in terms of a language interesting because I spoke Arabic some of the sounds were not dissimilar but what I wanted to do was is not just go through the motions. I wanted to, anyone who spoke Manx. I didn't worry about the 95% that didn't speak Manx. I wanted the people who did speak Manx to say, actually, he's done a good job. And that was about intonation. That was about getting the rhythm right, as well as pronouncing the, the, the letters and the, and the words correctly. Well, it was very, very well received, sir. I can tell you that from, from all of us. I really enjoyed it. I like a challenge. And, yeah. and thankfully... Um, the help that the uh, Culture Van and Language Development Officer, Ruth Kagan Girl, and she came and gave me, she's a tough teacher. <laughs> she made me work very hard, and um, we had to do it again for the accession proclamation as well. But again, I felt it was the right thing to do. How did you find out about the job? 
did somebody come along and said, you might be interested in this, sir? It was advertised in The Times. Also, somebody had, had rung me up and said, look, we know you're thinking of when you leave the army doing this kind of job. Just be aware that it's, you know, the Isle of Man is coming up in August and the interviews are in April. I then did, started doing lots of research in the sort of month before uh, interviewing. And, and the more I read about the island, the more I thought this, this would be brilliant. And I so shared it all with Philippa. And we wanted to go away and do something together uh, as a team. We've had quite a lot of absence because of, of the job. And it just seemed a perfect appointment where we could do it as a team. And the more I read about the island, oh, this is this is absolutely perfect for us. And um, I've got to say, if I hadn't got the job, I would have been absolutely devastated because I was so set on it. And you hadn't been before? No, no. First we, time? No, so the first time we came was after it, you know, I'd been appointed after it had been confirmed by Her Majesty. And we turned up in uh, July last year. Three days, the sun shone absolutely. So the, the island was perfect in every way lulled into the full sense of uh, it never rains <laughs> well you certainly found out that wasn't quite the case but never mind let's have your second musical choice sir so the second choice is a song by the the hollies he ain't heavy he's my brother the family philippa and the three boys are obviously so important it's it, it's everything and we used to do a lot of traveling as, as in in the car and we didn't have any sort of video or DVDs or anything like that. So it was singing. And I had a little, do you remember the, I, I think, called iPod Shuffle? Yes. Which you could only get so many songs on. And we'd go around, the boys, Philippa and me, selecting a song to sing. And this song was, was one of our son's favourite. And it was, it was absolutely, we all joined in, doing hand moves, waving our eyes, as, as driving. But it was a it was a brilliant way of getting us all to sing together and I suppose have fun together whilst we were driving down to Somerset to Phyllis's parents or up to Scotland to see all my family. So it was a nice way to fill the fill the time.
My guest all this week on my tunes is Lieutenant General Sir John Lorimer, our governor, Lieutenant Governor of the Isle of Man. Uh, Sir John, can we talk a little bit about Her Majesty's, Her Late Majesty's funeral? Because it was your duty to go and represent all of us from the Isle of Man at that funeral. I'm thinking that whole complex, um, amazing organisation was something you knew a lot about from the latter days of your military service. It was, and I think that in all your jobs, when you get to a certain level in the army, you always knew that you would probably have a role in the Queen's funeral or around the Queen's funeral. And so one often would ask, you know, right, when you need to, when you move to a new job, right, what's my role? How prepared are we? And then obviously more and more planning was done. But I think that, you know, everyone was doing the planning, knowing it was going to happen, but praying it wasn't going to happen. I think the way that the military carried out its duty was fantastic. I think up in Scotland, I think they did it brilliantly. And then down in England as well. And in, and in London on the, the actual day of the funeral. And I think that, you know, for us, for Philippa and, and me, doing our duty by going to the funeral, representing the island was, was really important. Yes, it was extreme of sadness. But also there was a sort of look to the future and sort of having heard His Majesty the King speak uh, on a number of occasions in the, in the previous sort of 
three or four days, uh, I think you know people went, oh, this is the end of an era, but it's the start of a new era. And so it was quite a, it was quite positive, I think, and we met people afterwards. But I think the, sort of the, the military did what they do very well. And I think that when I saw it on TV afterwards, actually I could pick up people I knew on parade and doing things, but it was you know, an amazing experience, both being there, but also you know an end of an era, but a start of a new one. You mentioned the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. We're all very hopeful that we'll see His Majesty the King before too long on the Isle of Man. Any possible time scale yet, or is it too early to say? It would be quite wrong for me to uh, give you any, any, even if nobody's listening, I still wouldn't say anything. <laughs> but obviously, we will get to see him Absolutely. at some stage. Absolutely. In uh, due course, I and think. If I, I, can, I will say this, that when I spoke to him the day before the funeral, I said, whenever you can, it's, you know, we'll recognise that the diary was going to be absolutely frenetic. And therefore, whenever we will be delighted to uh, host him and for everyone on iron to, to see him. Absolutely. Let's have today's choice of music. This is a song by The Killers, All the Things That I've Done, which I think was from their first album. And I remember it in 2007. And uh, I was uh, the brigade commander in Afghanistan. And we were going through a really hard summer. It was a long, tough summer. And the, the boys were doing magnificently but it was really austere conditions and the it, it was a as we would say it was a tough fight and it would just capture the moment for me of my sort of military service of operations abroad there's a there's a line that says I've got soul but I'm not a soldier and 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 it was being played the whole time but the soldiers changed the lyrics to the you know I've got soul and I am a soldier and uh, again I remember listening to on my iPod and, you know, played again and again. And um, it just, for me, it absolutely captures that period. And it also, it's kind of talking about someone growing up. And I think we all grew up, in, particularly in that six months. Uh, you know, quite a lot of our, of, of, of our friends and comrades didn't make it through the tour. And so for a lot of us, it was the defining so a six-month period of our military career, whether they were private soldier or the brigadier, uh, it was that type of moment in a sort of someone's some military career.
My tunes, my guest is Lieutenant General Sir John Lorimer. Our Governor, Lieutenant Governor, His Excellency, he's with me, and we've talked an awful lot about the military and being a Governor. What do you want to do with the office of the Lieutenant Governor? What do you want to do with Government House? It's almost like a stewardship role, isn't it? You'll pass it on to somebody else in due course. What would you like to do during those years? You're absolutely right. I mean, we don't own Government House or the gardens. It's not ours. Um, we're custodians. It's our home for five years, and it is very much our home, and our boys have, have come back. You know, two of them have been here seven times in the first year. But we want to share it with the people of the Isle of Man because it's theirs. And so we've been trying to open up Government House uh, to more people, and particularly to people who've never been there before. So we've had schools come along and, and, and visit. And we do a little quiz with them show, to talk about the history. They see the public rooms and open it to other, open it up to other uh, groups and organisations, and particularly the gardens, which are, are, are fantastic, and allow people to come along so they can appreciate and also be proud uh, of Government House and the, and the gardens. In terms of the office or the appointment, I think I'd best answer the question by saying I want to help people understand why the role of the lieutenant governor is still relevant in the 21st century. And if that's about me uh, and Philippa getting out and engaging with people from all backgrounds, all organisations from across the, the island and uh, helping them um, and by contributing to the community. And if that helps people see the, the, the relevance, it's an it's an old appointment. I'm the 31st Lieutenant Governor, and there will be people saying, well, why is that relevant in the 21st century? You know, why do we need that? Well, we've got it. And what I want to do is to prove through our actions and the way we carry out the job that actually it's a real bonus and benefit to the island. We have a unique 
relationship between the Lieutenant Governor and the people of the Isle of Man. And we have a unique relationship between the Isle of Man and the UK. Uh, and I think, you know, it should be viewed in a really positive way. And if we can help contribute to that, then that's you know, part of how I see the next four years, only four years now, how, how depressing, um, only four years to go. But I think that's what it's all about. Here's to that. Final track, unless you're going to come back for the podcast, and I urge you to do just that, because there's an extra bit on the podcast, which is coming out later this afternoon, and you'll see why when you come back. But for this, uh, this particular part, what are we going to finish with today? As I mentioned earlier on, my family's from Scotland. So dad was from Edinburgh, all his family in Edinburgh, and my mother's from Perthshire. Funny enough, when we first time we went up onto the mountain road during July before I took over, it was summer, the, the heather was out, the smell, the bees, it was just fabulous. And it was just like part of Perthshire that I know really well. And I turned to Philip and I said, this is going to be great. This is just so perfect. So this is a, a group called Runrig, who are, a, well, they've now stopped, sadly, after 45 years or something playing. But they are a sort of Celtic rock folk band. And I again, I've seen them in concert a number of times. And they're terrific. This song is called Going Home. And I think you're playing a, a live version. It's, it's great played live. And this, to me, it just makes me think about Scotland sort of family being up in the hills the colors in the hills and again everything that is good and lovely about that place so john thank you for joining us on my tunes it's been my pleasure i've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you
Thank you for coming back for the podcast. I told you it was going to be worth your while. You see, it is the 1st of December when this bit was being put together, which means Manx Radio has started playing Christmas tunes, which means my guest, His Excellency Lieutenant General Sir John Lorimer, our Lieutenant Governor, can choose a Christmas tune to sort of wrap up our podcasting bit. Uh, so, John, thank you for hanging on, because uh, I thought we should really, you know, 1st of December, we should get you to choose one of your favourites. Um, Christmas music can be dreadful, <laughs> in all honesty, but some of it lasts, and I think the one you've chosen is one of those. I think you're right. Uh, Chris- Christmas tunes can be dreadful, and many of them don't last. Thank goodness. <laughs> the one I've uh, chosen is from 1984, and it was Do They Know It's Christmas? Again, like some of my art, it was absolutely of the moment. Uh, there were also some great musicians on it. Phil Collins and, and Bono and Paul Weller and David Bowie and a few others. There were some ones that I don't remember. But it was of the time in 1984. Of course, Live Aid was the next year and all of that. And it was the first time that there was a, a, a single had come out which had multiple contributors Midgeur, I think, wrote it and produced it, who was a great Scottish musician. Bob Geldof, also, he did all the front-end stuff. But for me, as a Christmas song, not only is it reminding you of Christmas, it actually got a really good message about um, you know, the, the, the charitable aspects and the terrible things that were happening in Ethiopia at the time and all of that. And I think that um, this Christmas song sort of reminds me most about i suppose about what christmas is all about and about others so john thank you and we'll we'll play it right now it's christmas time there's no need to be afraid at christmas time we let in life and we banish it
Do They Know It's Christmas? Band-Aid, the final choice of my guest, who all this week has been our Lieutenant Governor, Sir John Lorimer. Thanks again to him, and what a cracking week it's been. Keep coming back here to manxradio.com for more podcasts, because they're appearing every day. I'm Mark Tiley, and join me if you can for the Shaw Morning Show, Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 12.00.